Um, before we jump into today's sermon, what I'd like to do is actually pray um, for a couple things. I want to pray, first of all, for the fires to end. Amen? Pray for that. Um, they've shut down the Trinity River, so I can't go fishing over there. This is very important stuff. Uh, and then, secondarily, I'd love to pray for Afghanistan, because as most of us are probably watching the news, it's a very discouraging situation. And then also Haiti. Uh, and if you have any questions about how the vineyard can be involved in those last two um, issues, um, please let me know. Um, there's, there are, uh, there's a compassion ministry uh, part of the vineyard that is going ahead and moving forward to determine how we can help out as a church community. So we're finding out more information, but they've let us know that they are exploring that. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, let's stand up and pray together if you're okay with that. Stretch our legs a little bit. If you don't want to stand, that's totally okay. No one's going to judge you. I hope. Uh, yeah, so Father, as we stand together as a community, we want to lift up a couple of things, and the first being uh, surrounding us in, uh, in California and Oregon. Lord, there's fires, and so um, people who are part of this church community are currently fighting those fires and working around uh, those situations in law enforcement and, and with CAL FIRE and different organizations, Lord. So we pray as a community that you would send rain and that you would bring an end to all these different fires that are around us and that you would also, Lord, give us opportunities um, as you see fit to be able to help and to serve and to um, be present. And we pray for the churches in those communities, Lord, that are also um, being mobilized to be able to, to love on people who have lost so much. Um, we also want to lift up Afghanistan to you. And um, it's one of, the fast, the, one of the fastest growing churches in the world is in Afghanistan. And so we pray for those churches to continue to be faithful to you, that you would, you would um, continue to grow the kingdom um, work there, Lord, that people would come to faith in Jesus there. We also pray that you would bring an end to terrorism and, and the evil things that are happening to, uh, especially to women and to children right now, Lord. We just pray that you would, you would move there. And then finally, God, we want to pray for Haiti and the earthquake that's happened and just for the losses that have happened and um, specifically, Lord, for the, the few vineyard churches that are there that have been devastated through this and that are currently um, once again trying to put things back together and being um, outposts for your kingdom. We just pray for mercy, Lord. We pray for, for compassion to, to move us and to move others to enter into these spaces for the good and glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my first um, trip to Kenya um, was, I think, in 2010. Um, as many of you know, um, I just took a trip there with my daughter a couple weeks ago. And, um, and I think it's similar to a lot of missions work. If you talk to anybody who's ever had an opportunity to travel to other countries um, and do certain things in other countries, you'll oftentimes hear kind of similar stories. And so my first trip uh, to Kenya was with an organization called Global Field Evangelism. I, I think I did uh, probably 10 trips with them uh, over a number of years. And um, the first trip we ever did, we were actually going to spend some time in um, one of the largest slums in the world. And there's millions of people there, and, 
And we were doing these things where we would go to this church um, building and we'd gather together and then we would cook a bunch of food, so like beans and rice, and then we would um, put together this uh, drink that looked like high C and it was essentially just vitamin C. And we put together all these bags and then we would go drive to the slum and then just hand out bags of food to to basically children um, that were without food. And so we were doing that, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that level of poverty. Like, I've seen poverty in the US, um, but I had never seen this level of poverty. And I just remember being really overwhelmed emotionally. Like, I was um, somewhat undone, you know, and like just trying to like um, process through how we live in a world where this still happens. And um, I remember um, we got done with that and the, uh, the person who was kind of organizing this decided to go and to find um, a couple kids that he knew would not be able to make it to where we were distributing the food and he wanted to make sure they got some food. And so we, we went down this small alley and we found these two kids that were so malnourished malnourished that uh, though they were like four and, and six years old, they looked like they were one and three years old. And they were just laying on the ground um, because in the situation they were in, their father was working every day and would just leave them and they would just stay there. And so I, I remember seeing that and being like really overwhelmed like emotionally unable to process that and I was on the verge of like losing it and I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can even function right now after seeing this. And, and I remember also thinking about how if that's something you see every day, wouldn't it make sense that you might get to the point where you kind of like harden yourself towards seeing things like that? Because it's the only way that you can kind of like make it, right? Is you just kind of like push the, push the, anybody ever do that? Like you get the emotionals and you just go, Whoa! Right? Like a lot, of, a lot of us do that, right? I mean, it's just like as soon as you feel it, just like, okay. And I was having that happen, and I was like, it was slowly starting to creep, though. And I was like, oh, and then it'd be like, ah. And finally, I just started just bawling. I, I just couldn't help it. And um, I, I remember looking over and seeing this guy. His name is Dan. And he's a Kenyan man, and he's, uh, he runs a bunch of orphanages there. He's a Kenyan who just came to faith in Jesus and then now is like totally committed to the cause of the kingdom and wants to um, save every kid he can. And I remember watching him, and he leaned down, and he was like hand-feeding these kids who were unable to do the, feed themselves. And, and just, but he was weeping, and I was like really moved by that. So I got in the van. We're driving back and I'm processing all these feelings and like I'm just trying to again reconcile this world that we live in. And he was sitting next to me and I finally was like, Dan, you see this all the time. And he's like, yeah, this is what I see almost every day of my life. We do these outreaches and this is what I, I see. And I was just like, how do, you, how do you still, how do you function first of all? And then second of all, how are you able to even like, you know, keep doing this and still be emotionally like connected to this. And I'll never forget, he basically told me that it's the love of Jesus that compels him. And he said, Jesus had compassion on us and therefore we have to have compassion on the world. And I was so moved by that because I, I think that it gets challenging and difficult when we see things like that on a regular basis to where we can really easily kind of overlook those challenges and those situations and we just kind of go like this. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when, when, when our family five years ago moved here, I, I remember like we lived in Wisconsin before this and Wisconsin's very cold in the winter. So, you know, people would be like, oh, what's your guys' homeless community like? And it was like, there is not one, it's too cold. I mean, people go to California from Wisconsin. 
They go to Red Bluff, right? And, and, and so when we moved here, we would see a lot of homelessness and a lot of socioeconomic challenges that we hadn't previously seen. And, and I remember like, oh man, there's all these different needs, but it feels like a struggle for us at times, and I'm saying us collectively, is balancing compassion and mercy and outreaches and love with also what I've learned is that some people are in situations because they've chosen to be in those situations. And they've ma- made bad decisions and they don't want to get out of that. You see what I'm talking about? talking about? Like there's these tensions uh, that are really challenging for us. And I I feel like this is something that I regularly are are processing and trying to wrestle with because I'm compelled by the compassion of Jesus. Like I, I, I have a hard time reading the gospel narratives or seeing people who do ministry like my friend Dan in Kenya and walking away from that and not being changed by it. Like there's something really powerful about that. And so I want to spend some time um, again this morning talking a little bit about this. And we're in this sermon series right now, kind of exploring core vineyard values. We've been doing that for this month. We've been talking about a a number of different values. In fact, um, if you've been here for the last three or four weeks, you'll know we've talked about our value of partnering with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about uh, what experiencing and worshiping God is about. Um, Last week, we talked about reconciling people with God and all of creation. And today we're going to spend some time talking about engaging in compassionate ministry. And this is a pretty important value for us as a church um, and as a community. In fact, I think that's one of the, one of the things that um, early on was attractive to me when I was a kid when we started attending a vineyard church is that there was always something there. There were always people who were welcoming to people who were like on the margins or somewhat overlooked. And If you go on the Vineyard website, you'll see that it's one of our values where we talk about leaning toward the lost, the poor, the outcasts, the outsiders with the compassion of Jesus. But I love how it says, this mercy can only be truly received in as much as we are willing to give it away. And we've talked a lot about that over the last five years. And I know previous to that, this was something we would talk about how one of the things that Jesus does for us is Jesus pours out love into us so we can then pour out love to the world around us, right? Like we're supposed to give away what we've received. And, And so there's a lot of tension and a lot of balance, I think, with this subject. And I want to just kind of try to navigate that a little bit this morning and talk about why this is such an important value for us. But what I want to do is the same thing we do every single week. We're going to read a passage of scripture, pray, and then we're going to spend some time talking about the implications of said passage. And so we're going to read from the gospel of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And just to put this in context, Jesus has just like many other chapters of the gospels, has just healed a whole bunch of people he just got done doing a bunch of kingdom ministry. And then he, he, he makes this, this statement. Matthew writes this. He says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news that, about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. This morning, I just want to point out, no sentence in the Bible describes most human beings better than that right there. (laughs) Confused and helpless. Anybody ever feel confused and helpless in the room? 
Well, it's a good place to be because evidently it moves Jesus to compassion, okay? So it says he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. And so, Father, I pray that as we spend a little bit of time thinking about the implications of Matthew 9, Lord, that we would be able to see um, this text and not only understand its context, but understand how it applies to each of our lives. That we would all, as individuals who collectively make up your church, that we would leave this gathering with a greater sense of value for, for living out the implications of the kingdom and being compassionate people. That compassion would also move us when we see people who have been created in your image, people who are loved by you more than we could ever fathom. Loved so much that your son Jesus willingly came and died upon a cross to cover our sins and so that we might have peace and reconciliation with God. Would your spirit do work today? We pray this in your name. Amen. So, Matthew is an interesting book. Um, first of all, you can actually take the book of Matthew and you can, you can break it up into five sections. Uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew actually has what are called five discourses. And what they are is they're basically um, Jesus' main sermons in the Gospel of Matthew. The, the author, Matthew, when he put this gospel together, he, he basically broke up the gospel and the life of Jesus along his greatest sermons. And so um, one sermon that's really popular that many of us may realize or know about is the Sermon on the Mount. It's where we get the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the meek, blessed are those who seek uh, to hunger and seek for righteousness. Um, Jesus basically gave these great sermons, and Matthew, when he was putting his gospel together, he actually organizes this gospel along these discourses. And so when you're reading Matthew, you can actually kind of situate yourself along the way based off of those five discourses. This one is beginning what is called the mission discourse. And this is a summary that Matthew gives us. If you just look at the text, you can see he's, he's kind of summarizing what Jesus has been doing. He, he's summarizing the fact that Jesus has been doing some amazing things. I mean, just look at that. It says that he announces the good news about the kingdom. That was Jesus' primary message when he was on earth, is he constantly was announcing that the kingdom of God had broken into the world that we, that we live in. And that's the primary message, that's the primary topic that he talks about is the kingdom. In fact, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that the kingdom is the prominent central theme throughout all of Jesus' teachings. And I just want to say that that's why in our cultural context, our church context, we have to really think about the implications of a kingdom because we don't live in a kingdom. So oftentimes when we as Americans who live in an individualistic republic, when we think about the kingdom, sometimes it's kind of challenging to understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. But really quickly, to understand a kingdom, you have to have two things. You have to have, number one, a sovereign. Does anybody know who the sovereign in the kingdom of God is? Who? Jesus, right? There's a sovereign, and then there are subjects. Now, who in this room is a subject of the kingdom? It's all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, Jesus is king, and I am, I am under his leadership. 
And so it's a, it's a bit different than some of the political, uh, I guess, things that exist in our world. So the kingdom of God is, is over and above all the different systems of the world. And so we have Matthew kind of summarizing Jesus' ministry here. And he's about announcing the good news about the kingdom. But I love that next sentence. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Every kind of disease and illness. And I've met people in my life over the years who um, I've just, I've seen this, this thing where it's like people, many of us in this room might feel like Jesus can do something amazing for somebody else, but we sometimes feel like Jesus might do, not do something amazing for me. Like, oh yeah, it makes sense that Jesus would do that for that person, but I'm just little old me. Jesus wouldn't do that for me. But that's the whole point that Matthew's trying to make here is that Jesus would show up into a village and he would heal every kind of disease. There is no disease that is outside the sovereignty of God, amen? There's no situation that you're in that is outside of of God's providential, sovereign uh, grace. I mean, he's able to to get involved in every situation. So there's nothing that we're going through that we can say, oh, Jesus can't really break into this situation. That just doesn't exist. And so, you know, Matthew is kind of highlighting this, this, this amazing um, ministry that Jesus has had. Every single kind of disease, he heals them all. And this is really similar to one of my favorite things in the Gospel of John, the last sentence in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 25. This is what we read. John says, Jesus also did many other things. Okay, so like if you go to the Gospel of John, we just, like, you'll see that there's 21 chapters. The last thing is, uh, it says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. There's too many things that Jesus did in his, in his public ministry. There's so many things that we wouldn't even be able to contain all of them in, in, our, in our lives. He healed every kind of disease. And so here we all are in the Gospel of Matthew, and we, we're hearing about Jesus' mission, right? He's, he's, he's telling us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what I love about this is that we're learning that Jesus' mission is not his alone. And I think this is really important for us because I think that it's really common for us to assume that Jesus has his mission, he needs to do his things, and then we're just kind of hanging out, we gather on Sundays, and hopefully it all works out. But what Jesus is actually saying is that the harvest is plentiful in that we need to pray that God would raise up laborers who would join him in his mission and accomplish the things of the kingdom. This is what Craig Keener says. Craig Keener is a New Testament scholar. He says in this text, he says, as Jesus perpetuated John's message concerning the kingdom, his followers will do the same. So did everybody hear that? Jesus talked about the kingdom. So what should we be talking about? the kingdom, okay? He says we should be talking about the kingdom. As Jesus demonstrated the kingdom by compassionately healing, his disciples must do the same. In short, at this point in the gospel, Matthew clarifies the suggestion that much of Jesus' mission is likewise the church's mission. And that's why I've always, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've always thought that when we talk about our mission as a church, we should really keep in mind not so much what we think our mission is, but we should focus on what is God's mission. Like, what is God at work doing in our community, and how can we partner with him and bless it? 
Like, what is God doing, and how can we join him? And so this harvest, that is God's harvest, is our harvest. It's shared collectively between Jesus and his church. That's essentially what we see here in Matthew. So I want to talk a little bit about the harvest. Um, I feel like it's really super easy to get a little discouraged these days. Uh, I, I don't know if you spend time talking to non-church people ever, but it can be a little daunting. And, and like if we look at the numbers or the statistics related to what's happening in the world that we live in, we need to realize that the amount of people who are unreached, unchurched, is growing, right? There are a lot of people who have no idea about any of the things that, that many of us maybe grew up with or many of us currently believe. There's more and more people who don't have uh, religious or church backgrounds. And so it's, it's growing larger and larger and almost seems like it's a daunting task. Anybody ever feel that way? Did any of you ever feel like, oh man, where do we start? Like, where do we start when we're trying to reach people? And it reminds me, there's this, there this person one time who uh, was out at the beach. And if you've ever been to the beach, uh, have you ever seen all the starfish? Anybody ever done that? Are, we, are you even here? Yeah, just a couple. I'm just like, wow. Like no one has, <laughs> how, how many of you have seen starfish? Like, they're out there, right? Like, okay, thank you. All right. I was starting to, I felt like really bad. I was like, you guys have never left Red Bluff? It's it's like, there's, there's, there's starfish out there. And like, but it's pretty cool, right? And you ever touched one? Yeah. I'm always like, I see when I'm like, I want to touch it, but I feel like it'll bite me. Uh, And I know they don't have teeth, but, or do they? I don't even know. But anyway, so if you've ever seen it, there's starfish everywhere. This person walked out and they were, they were on the beach and there were starfish all over the beach. They weren't in the water and they were just drying up. In fact, like when I was a kid growing up in Alaska, that was what we would do. We would, we would try to get a starfish and then we would put it um, outside and then we would pour some like chlorine over it and it would get all hard. And so this was happening. Like this is a thing, right? And so this person was on this beach and there were starfish everywhere. And they were like, oh my gosh, there's literally, you know, thousands upon thousands of starfish and they're all going to dry up and die. And then this person saw another person walk up and and grabbing a starfish and just throwing it into the ocean and just taking one and just throwing it into the ocean, doing the exact opposite of what I used to do as a child and just throwing it in in the ocean. And and the, the first person walked up and said, why are you doing this? You know, like there's no possible way that you can get all of these starfish. It, it, like there's no way this can ever make a difference. And the person who was throwing the starfish in the ocean, you know, leaned down, picked one up and said it matters to this one and threw it back in the ocean. And I think that's helpful when we think about how daunting the task of, of outreach or evangelism or being committed to, to missions or compassion is that sometimes it feels like the, the, the amount of people is daunting. It is like, oh my gosh, where do we begin? Where do we begin? Well, I can tell you, I think we begin with the first person in front of us. We have, to, we have to begin with the people that are around us. And, and just like that starfish, it does matter to that one starfish being thrown into the ocean. And so when we talk about the harvest, I know it can be really, it can be really daunting to think about. I mean, the challenge, uh, you know, the, the fact that, the, that the, the harvest is growing even more so, I think, the reality that, our, that the context of people who are no longer, um, you know, people of of the kingdom or people who know Jesus can be really daunting. And there's a lot of challenges uh, before us as a church. I mean, when you look at the statistics, you know, the the non-church world tends to think that church people are super hypocritical, super judgmental, anti-homosexual, too politically engaged. Um, And I, I know a lot of people who I've talked to who feel like 
Church people are either unable or unwilling to talk about difficult, challenging questions or topics. And, and I mean, we can argue all day long about whether or not those things are true, but the reality is that non-church people feel those ways, and that's the harvest that we have. And so I don't know, sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed. I feel a little overwhelmed, and I know that if you talk to maybe your grandkids or your children or your parents or friends or family members, you'll find that it just feels like, oh my gosh, where do we start? Where do we start? And that's why I want to talk for a few moments here about the laborers. I find this to be so beautiful about this passage is that Jesus is moved by compassion. He's moved by compassion. The Greek word right there that is uh, used actually means that it's, it's when someone is deeply affected in their inner being so much so that they have to do something. Like they are compelled. And that's how Jesus felt about people. When he would see people, he was compelled in the innermost being of his soul to do something about it. Years ago, when we first moved here, um, last week you met Nikki Walter, who is our our kids' pastor, and then went on to plant a church. And, and I, I remember talking to her about this um, because it always felt that way. Like, it felt like, where do we begin? And, and you know, how do we know who to help? I mean, because I don't know about you, but I, I have been suckered. Like, when I first started pastoring, this is pretty funny. I, 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 basically, what happened is I was going to this church, and I had, I had gone to seminary. So when the pastor decided to leave, he was like, well, you're going to be the guy, I guess. Goodbye. And I was like, but I don't want to be the guy. And I became the guy. And I was trying to figure out, like, well, what does this mean now, you know? And, and so the last thing that this pastor said to me is he's like, all right, so you'll be fine. Just love people. Work it out. I was like, okay. He said, this envelope right here also has all these coupons for gas vouchers. So if people ever need gas, you can help them out. It also has some hotel vouchers in it, too. So if people are down and out, we can get them a hotel. So just, you know, use your discretion and give it to people. So I took that and I was like, oh, sweet. And so the, next, the, the summer comes along and it was really crazy. Like every single week we had some new person calling the church and saying, hey, I don't have any gas money. I was like, oh, well, I have gas vouchers. Gave him a gas voucher. Oh, I don't have a place to stay. Oh, here's a hotel voucher. And so then at the end of the summer, after three months, I'd given everything away. I met with all the other pastors who also had this, and we found out that the same four people had been going to every single one of the churches and had gotten all the gas vouchers. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I felt, I was like, no one told me. No one told me. And so I, I know that many of us sometimes feel like there's this tension between being compassionate and being wise. Are you with me? Like, it's like we, we're trying to figure out, we don't want to enable, but we also need to, we want to be compassionate, but we're trying to figure out, you know, are we, are, we, are we helping out by helping out, or are we sometimes maybe not helping out by what we're helping do? And I think that's the, the, the tension that we have. And as laborers, I do think it's interesting that Jesus is compelled by compassion, and so that's kind of the, the main thing. And so Nikki and I are talking about this, and Nikki had this brilliant way of, of, of helping me think about how we function as people who have previously said we want to partner with the Holy Spirit. She said, well, you know what? I was driving the other day in town, and I saw this car that was, I think, broke down, and there was a young woman in it with a couple kids. And as I was driving by, I saw them, and I kept driving, and I felt like the Lord said, I need to go turn around and help them. And that right there, I think, could end the sermon 
And that's the whole point. She's like, I turned around, I started talking to them, and I felt like the Lord said that I should, should do this thing for them, and she did some stuff for them and helped them, and then they were on their way. And I think that that's the grid that can help us be compassionate people. Like, we, we can feel overwhelmed, and the task can feel daunting, but if we keep our eyes and our ears open for what the Holy Spirit's doing, we can partner with God, and we can be compassionate people who sees the star in front of us and helps that star. Amen? And so I think that's a good grid for, for being laborers. But Jesus is moved by compassion to partner with the Holy Spirit. And as we're moved by compassion to partner with the Holy Spirit, I think that compels us to take risks, to pursue reconciliation for God, uh, for, with God and all people, and to really lean into this, this, this area of ministry. Now, what I really love about this passage that we just looked at is this last thing where Jesus encourages us. He, he first says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And then he says, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so the application for us is, are we regularly praying that God would raise up laborers for the harvest? Like, if you're not actively praying for the harvest um, to have laborers, then, then you need to adjust that. You need to add that to your prayer list and start praying, God, would you raise up church planters? Would you raise up missionaries? Would you raise up everyday common people who would really engage in the work of ministry here in Red Bluff and in Corning and in Anderson and in all of our surrounding communities? Would you raise up people to, to be volunteers for the work of the kingdom? This is the type of, of ministry that Jesus is encouraging us to be a part of. So when I think about compassionate ministry, there's a lot of different things that I think we could talk about um, across the grid, but I want to just lay out a couple things about the future for us here at the Vineyard uh, in Red Bluff. Um, I, I really do believe that um, everybody's called to ministry, because I think the Bible teaches that. And I think that everybody has an opportunity to do missions, but I know that not everybody in this room is called to go like to Mexico or to Kenya or to Antarctica or wherever it is that people are going these days. But I do think that we're all called to share our faith and we're all called to pray for, for the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. That's, that's part of what God's calling us to do. And so... We've been thinking a lot about this the last couple of years, about our mission strategies. And you know, we've been praying for about um, six months now about Mexico and then talking about Kenya, which are two places that um, I have experience in and other people in our church community have, have done some things at. And so I want you to see a text of scripture really quickly that's gonna help guide our compassionate ministry, I think. Um, Acts chapter one, verse eight, we read this. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we've been thinking a lot about our compassion ministry here. And, you know, Doug and I were just talking the other day. Doug's um, one of our outreach um, leaders. And we were talking about how, you know, this model of being local translocal and then global is a really good model. And so we're excited because we really do sense that the Holy Spirit is, is leading us and compelling us to press into a couple of things. 
Number one, um, we've, want, we've wanted for a long time to be um, involved in loving our city. Like, I, I don't know about you, but as much as it can be challenging living in Northern California, I love Red Bluff. Like, Red Bluff is a great community, great people. Um, there's just a lot of amazing things here. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that we can drive and play in the snow and then come back. Like, that's great, right? Go up there, throw a snowball at your kid and then go home, right? Or we can drive to the ocean in just a few hours. I mean, there's a lot of positive things about here. And you don't have to spend $10 million on a house because it's 150 degrees all year, right? <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? If it, was, if it was not very hot here, we would not be able to afford here, right? So I'm okay with some of the heat. Point though is that Red Bluff's amazing and I love it and I hope you love it. And I think God wants us to love our city and so what we're, what we're wanting to be committed to is loving Red Bluff, and we want to have local outreaches. We don't want to be a church that just does all these things all over the world and nothing locally. We want to always be focused on local outreach too. So that's the Jerusalem part. And so that's why our love Red Bluff stuff happens here. We want to minister out of compassion for the city that we live in. And then secondarily, we've, we've gone down to Ensenada. Doug and I went, and we're going to do another trip um, with some some more folks from our community, our church community here in a few months. We've gone down there and we've, we see this is kind of like a translocal thing. It's not very far away. It's a, it's a cheap, easy way to get into missions and we can really make a difference in Ensenada. And I think that what we're seeing is that we're going to be able to have a partnership with that vineyard church there so they can come up here and they can help us too, which is really exciting. And so we have, that's the, the translocal options that we have. And then there's these other opportunities, Kenya being one of them, where there's a global opportunity for us to be able to press into the compassionate ministry of Jesus and make a difference in that country too. And so I think our compassion ministries that we have here in the vineyard, I think we want to just be compassionate. Wouldn't it be great if all of the things that we do spring out of a, a move of compassion as God raises our awareness to certain situations? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's kind of the whole goal, I think, here. Let's stand up together. So, uh, this morning I was praying a little bit, and this week I've been thinking a lot about compassion. And um, because I think it's hard to be compassionate sometimes. Like, I like how there's about five people who are like, yes. And then the rest of you are lying. Um, no, I mean, for real, it is really challenging to be compassionate sometimes. Um, and, I, and I find, for me at least, and I think for many of us, it's super easy to be compassionate about certain things, and then it's really challenging to be compassionate about other things, right? Like, like it's really easy to maybe be compassionate about, about kids. Um, when, I, when I first moved to Red Bluff, um, I, I was, and I have attended this gathering of, of local organizations to talk about children's homelessness, and I found out that there's about 100 teenagers who are homeless in the city of Red Bluff. And I was shocked by that. Like, that should not be. I, I, that is wrong. And so the organization's been working and we've been trying to address that and doing certain things to create awareness and finding locations for people to be able to, to live. Um, 
But like, that's really easy. I mean, is there anybody in the room who's like, has no heart for homeless kids? No, like that's just really easy. But there's other things where it's more challenging and more difficult to be compassionate about. Am I being honest? Can I, is that true? Right, like there's just certain things where we just become blind to it or we harden our hearts or we just look the other way. And, and what I think the Holy Spirit wants us to do is for us to open up our eyes and to be more open to opportunities to extend compassion. And rather than closing our eyes or looking the other way, might we stop and say, Holy Spirit, is there something that I can do that would extend grace and would be coming out of compassion for this person or this situation? And if we all did that, imagine the things that we could do for the cause of Jesus, amen? And so I wanna pray into that for a minute. Let's just pray into that for a moment. So, Father, it, it does feel oftentimes really overwhelming and it feels really challenging and it feels like it's easy to turn our, our eyes and our attention to things that we're maybe more comfortable with. But we might be, and oftentimes I think we are, missing opportunities to, to minister in the compassion of your of your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us, Lord, to be more sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading? What is the good of gathering to sing songs about grace if we are unable to extend grace, Lord? What good is it for us to come and to bask in your mercy and your love and your truth if we're not willing to compassionately extend your mercy, your love, and your truth? So would you help us, God? Would you help us to be um, wise in how we do these things? That you would give us wisdom. Would you help us to be courageous and to take risks? And would you help us, Lord, to be kind? Father, move us as a community, a church, um, closer and closer to the heartbeat of your kingdom. That, Lord, as, as we do ministry locally here in Red Bluff and our surrounding communities, as we do things sub-locally, trans-locally, and in areas that are uh, on the West Coast, for instance, Lord, and as we do things um, globally, God, would you help all of those things happen, first of all, for the glory of God, and second of all, for the good of people, as we minister in the compassion of your kingdom. I just want to encourage you, if you're here, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes right now if you haven't yet done that, and just to really maybe stand right now and to posture your heart in a way to, to interact and dialogue with God. This, this sense that there's a, a number of you in this room that um, maybe it's been a while since you have um, had a real sense of God's compassion for you. And I, and I think that there's a number of you that, you know, when I was describing um, the person who is able to see how God might minister to someone else, but you really struggle to see how God might be uh, interested in your life, you, you struggle to see how God cares about you, um, I just had this sense that, that the Lord wants 
um, you especially to right now to know how much he loves you. You are not just another statistic. You are not just another, another ant. You are actually an individual who, who God deeply loves. And so you don't need to raise your hand this morning. Maybe, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, though. Maybe you've never, ever um, made a conscious decision to receive God's love. And so I just want to pray right now that you would know without a shadow of a doubt how much God loves you. Like, doesn't matter about your background. Doesn't matter how much church you've been to or how little church you've been to. Doesn't matter what you've done in your past, but God anxiously and eagerly wants to have a relationship with you. And so, Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would help each one of these people to right now have a sense of your love and your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would also help them to know that, you know, the Bible teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead, if we receive the forgiveness of our sins, that we can start a relationship with you immediately. And so right now, Lord, would you, would you grant that grace? Would you grant that faith? Would you grant that, that um, love to be filled in each one of our hearts? Just as we're standing here with our eyes closed, if, 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 if you're here and you've made that decision, if you want to know more about that, if you're at a place where you really want to, to make a step toward toward having a real true faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to talk to myself or talk to Don or any of the other folks who have been on the stage today. Um, I know each one of those people could help you in that area. And I want to encourage you to start really praying more and reading your Bible and spending some time actually investing in your faith. And now, Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that your spirit would fill them up. Would you encourage them? And would you help us to go out and make a difference in the world that we live in, that we would leave this place carrying the compassion of your kingdom and extend that compassion to every woman, every man, young and old, that we come in contact with. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said amen. amen. Folks, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.